0: It does make it hard for innovators because they have to target the, I guess, the lowest common denominator, or highest common denominator. You know, if you're if you're designing a car, you have to you might, you might as well design it to hit Californian standards, for example. Having very fragmented standards for people to go design around um, just makes it harder for innovators and slows innovation down. So, having harmonized stuff at a federal level or even at a
1: global level uh, is going to acce- accelerate innovation. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Today's episode is brought to you guys by the Top 1% Podcast. We're living in a world where people are struggling to get by, over-medicating, and suddenly average is acceptable. Are you ready to get out of the survival mode and take your life to the next level? Hosted by Dr. Trevor Bletchner, each week he interviews leaders in the fields of leadership, personal growth, and human potential to gain powerful insights on how to get to the top and create an awesome life. Previous guests include former VP of Walt Disney World, Lee Cockerell, world-renowned sports psychologist Ben Newman, and Dr. Jack Syke human behavior and potential expert, Dr. John Demartini, and high-performance coach, Jarek Robbins. Go ahead and subscribe to the Top 1% podcast. If you like Tim Ferriss, I'm sure you'll be glad you did. Everyone's talking about automation these days, except the folks terrified in government not really sure how to solve the problem. Let's try to do it for them. Today, we got a fun episode planned with Steve Brown. Steve's the bald futurist Yes, like yours truly. Speaker, author, strategist, advisor. He's got over 30 years experience. He's a futurist, the former chief evangelist at Intel. He's been featured across the spectrum, BBC, CNN, Bloomberg, ABC News, Wired, Wall Street Journal, and you name it. Steve and I dive into a ton on this podcast. We'll have a lot of fun and we'll discuss what jobs computers are not suited to handle. What happens as automation automates away tons of jobs? It's coming how do we design a better, more 21st century government, why 5G is so important, the reason Steve is bullish on blockchain and not cryptocurrencies, why AI will be the biggest technology transformation of all time, and the less talked about but equally important aspects of driverless cars and automation. And now without further ado, I give you Steve Brown, as you can probably tell. I'm pretty big on health, longevity, and human optimization. That's why I'm pumped to tell you about our special 10% off offer from Onnit, the brainchild of UFCs, Joe Rogan, and Aubrey Marcus for elite performers. They're running a Willy Wonka style prize giveaway where everybody gets a golden ticket. Everybody wins on every order of Alpha Brain, a super nootropic stack that they sent me. I love it with my morning coffee, and it comes with the potential to win an all expenses paid grand prize round trip for two to Onnit's hardcore headquarters in Austin, Texas, $1000 store credit, $500 cash, and more. Plus, again, every bottle of Alpha Brain comes with a special bonus from the Onnit team. Just visit disruptors.fm Slash alpha to save 10 percent off Alpha Brain or anything else from their awesome store. Again, disruptors.fm slash on it if you want hardcore subs to live a high performance life. Today's episode is brought to you guys by my 15 step guide to scalable Series A worthy growth and marketing. If you're building a startup aiming for a billion dollar outcome or a solopreneur looking for a sustainable six seven or eight figure business. Get my free guide, which you can grab at mattward.io slash free, which walks you through the best, most proven tactics to acquire and retain customers applicable for freelancers up to Fortune 500. If you want to grab that, plus bonus hacks and tips to build your business and more, visit mattward.io slash free. And if you need help or ever want to grow your business faster, I coach a handful of hardcore winners building businesses I believe in. You can reach out right on the site, mattward.io, for more. And now, let's get on with the episode.
0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: The bald futurists. I can tell from the accent, you're British, but I know you've got a thing with Oregon. And I feel like there's a story. Why Oregon? And why is that so important to you? It's sort of random. I worked for Intel for 30
0: years, and Intel's largest facility is here in Oregon. And so, I used to come visit, I worked for Intel in the UK, I used to visit here every three months or so, I'd come and spend a week and I just loved it here. Uh, As a European, it's not Europe in Oregon, but it has some European things about it here in Portland in that, uh, you know, it's got good public transport and it's got beer and wine, uh, wine country, green parks. So, it sort of feels, I feel at home here. And my thing about Oregon is, it's the thing about my home. I've chosen to make this my home. And if it's going to be my home, then I'm going to do what I can to help make it a better home. So uh, anytime I do talks in the state of Oregon, I normally sort of cut my fees. I do work with local educators. Uh, I do work with local government to try and help uh, do my part as a citizen.
1: I'm now a US citizen uh, to help contribute. So Oregon, you were there for Intel. Mm -hmm. As a chief evangelist, what in God's name is an evangelist other than that guy on TV? Um, yeah, it's
0: not that praise, praise be evangelism type of stuff. Uh, it was a role that was really a chief cheerleader. So my job was to travel around the world to visit all of Intel's facilities, to spend time with Intel's employees and to help them sort of understand their role in the world. So I would spend time explaining where's the world going, where's the world of tech going, where's Intel going? And therefore, where are they going? And, and it was designed as a way to help them see a very clear link between the work that they did and the impact that they had in the world and why it was important.
1: That was why. That was, that's, what, that's essentially the job. What do you think about what's happened with Intel and the whole Apple deal lately?
0: Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I think it's, it didn't necessarily get reported in the press the way... Uh, it, the, the full story is that Intel is out of the mobile 5G modem business for smartphones, but it's still going to stay in 5G. I think it's still strategic. I've been gone from the company for three and a half years now, so I don't have any inside scoop. But uh, you know, it's just one of those things that happens in the industry. Sometimes things don't work out. I think Intel
1: was late to market, and uh, Apple had to make some tough calls. Yeah, that's that's how it works sometimes. How do you think about that transitioning from one of the big players to being someone who tries to help the big players succeed? You kind of become a mercenary, but yet you can accomplish more.
0: Um, I'm certainly, I'm not fettered anymore. I don't, I'm not uh imbued with Intel's worldview. I have my own worldview, which I think is, uh, is different. And I, I get to interact with a lot more different customers. If, if you work for Intel, you tend to, to spend a lot of time talking with Intel's customers and maybe their customers. Uh, now I'm spending time talking with all kinds of really interesting organizations. In the last month, I've, I got to inspire school kids in Aruba about how they can participate in the future. I have talked to the International Society of Barristers. I have talked to high-tech companies. Uh, I've talked to manufacturers. It's a real mix and I, I love that. And I get to help people understand how the world is going to change and, how, and, and what their part can be in that. And, and I enjoy that way more than any job I ever
1: did at Intel. So speaking of the, the future and how the world's going to mm-hmm. change, we were talking 5G, we were talking mobile. Where are we headed? I see 5G being this incredible standard that everyone talks about, and they kind of wave their hands in the air as if 5G doesn't really have to mean anything. We can just say 5G and it's all good. It's like version 4, version 5. Mm-hmm. What is a new version? Yeah, it's one more
0: G, so it must be better, right? And, and it is significantly better, and, but it's not just about making your uh, videos download faster or um, just making your phone faster in general. There's lots more that 5G is able to do than that. And we should talk about sort of the broader landscape of technology, but let's hit 5G because I think it's it's a foundational technology, a little bit like blockchain is a foundational technology upon which other value will be created. 5G is faster, 10 to 100 times faster than 4G, LTE. It is more scalable. It is more reliable. So it has much more quality of service capability built in. So you will get less drop signals. But it's more importantly, drop signals for machines. So if you are an autonomous vehicle that is pulling data from the network to get a, um, a high definition map of where you are right now, it will be able to get that much more reliably without a drop connection. And you'll see these um, these networks scale much better in cities. If you go to, I mean, in Portland, I get a great quality 5G, 4G LTE signal. If I go to San Jose, where there are a lot of people using those connections, it kind of sucks. So um, it will be much more scalable, but I've saved the best one to last, which is that five G's latency is much lower. Latency means the time between when I ask for something from the internet and when it comes back to me. That time is going to be a fraction of what it was with four G. What that means is that a number of applications that weren't possible before are now possible. So uh, remote surgeries, streaming VR and AR, so being able to put funky glasses on and have them be connected and the images be streaming from the cloud. When I move my head, they have to change rapidly. Otherwise, I feel sick and throw up. Having the low latency of 5G will mean that this will be possible. I've got to have cloud-based streaming AR, VR, which will mean that that will suddenly become a reality.
1: Which means we'll probably also have cloud-based streaming advertisements popping up just from holographic projectors. God, it's so dystopian. And it's like, I could see it happening. Just it's it's kind of... An inevitability in capitalism, isn't it?
0: Well, it it
1: will be up to us
0: as consumers to decide what we will tolerate. But yeah, if if our field of view gets sold to the highest bidder and our view of the world looks like we're walking down the main street of Vegas every day of our lives, that's clearly not
1: acceptable. And that's when you move back to Europe and hopefully the EU, because you have a you have a little more protection there.
0: Uh, Well, I I think you're going to see a a similar reaction here in the states. Uh, GDPR, the the general data protection. Act That happened in Europe uh, last year I, there there are moves in Congress to try and and pull something together that's similar here in the states.
1: What do you think about the whole state federal government dynamic? so California can make lead illegal and for the federal government, it can be illegal so how in god 's name do these kind of things interact it 's not something that really happens in Europe unless you consider all of the eu
0: yeah i 'm not the right person to ask about that. The, the only comment I would have is that it does make it hard for innovators because they have to target the I guess the lowest common denominator or highest common denominator, you know, if you're you're designing a car, you might might as well design it to hit Californian standards, for example. Having very fragmented standards for people to go design around um, just makes it harder for innovators and slows innovation down. So, having harmonized stuff at a federal level or even at a global level
1: uh, is going to accelerate innovation. You brought a blockchain earlier. I know for a lot of the blockchain sites, when people were signing up, you could sign up as long as you weren't in North Korea, Iran, or the state of New York. And it's uh, it's a little bit absurd how regulation can also hold that stuff back. But how do you see blockchain? I know you said fundamental technology. A, why is it fundamental? And B, will it become valuable or will it be something like an HTTP?
0: Great. That's, that's a lot of questions all in one. So I, I think, yes, it becomes valuable uh, in that I see that artificial intelligence is the new computer augmented reality is the new display. And blockchain is the new network. That is the way that value might be created in the future in a very distributed, decentralized way. So people often associate blockchains almost exclusively with cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies in and of themselves are pretty dull, I I think, as a futurist. Cryptocurrencies sort of sit on top of blockchains. I actually think about it the other way around, which is that cryptocurrencies or tokens are what makes blockchains go, that what enable that immutable platform. It's just a fancy database. That's what blockchain is. It's a fancy database that you can't change the data in it. It allows you to create that distributed fancy database and then build value on top of that. And we're getting to the point where the latest generation of blockchains do not have the baggage of the previous ones, namely uh, they're actually... Get it quick. Well, well, not just that. I mean, yes, there's that you know, ugly patina of uh, stupidity that, that revolved around those, but I'm talking about the fact that blockchains, to make them go, old blockchains, you needed a ton of energy to make that happen, which was meant that they were unsustainable. And they also couldn't handle that many transactions per second. The latest blockchains can handle, you know, maybe a million transactions per second or more. And they're designed to not use the same level of electricity that, say, the, the blockchain that underpins Bitcoin used to use. So we're, we're at the point now where blockchain is 10 years old and it is, It is mature enough that people will really start to use it to create value in a very different way than they have before.
1: Is part of the problem with blockchains that people have been trying to optimize for the furthest out scenario to make it 100% perfect versus building something that was close to perfect? I feel like that extra effort that is involved with making it 100% cryptographically secure, 100% we're not going to have these type of split attacks, etc. When you get too into the nitty-gritty, you kind of overbuild, so to speak. I mean, let's say yeah. you're driving a car. What if we put 12 inches of steel on the outside in case you crash into another car?
0: Yeah, and I think you're seeing that trade-off. People are realizing, maybe I don't need to steel reinforce my tank. You know, I'm just going to be taking the kids to school and back. And, you know, the kids are precious and I got to look after them, but I do it doesn't need to be in a tank. It can be in a Volvo. And I think we're seeing the Volvo of, uh, of blockchain emerge now, which is still secure and designed to be safe, but isn't a complete overkill.
1: It's not libertarian anarchy, essentially. <laughs> we are, there's new people getting into the space that have different ideals. Yeah. What technology are you most excited about and why? Artificial intelligence by far. It, it is going
0: to change all of our lives. It will change the way we all work. Uh, it has some... It is going to challenge us as a society in that is going to change the nature of work and put a lot of people out of work, at least in the short to medium term. But it is a very exciting technology because it, it solves a set of business problems that were not possible before. So, the, the way to think about it is, you know, about 120 years ago, we electrified the world. We got electric lights, refrigeration, uh, all of the benefits. I mean, I'm talking to you now because of electricity. About 60 years ago, we got modern you know, digital computers, what I would now call traditional digital computing. And it took a while for that to mature and get into everybody's hands at an amazing price point. You know, that's why we have these things in our pockets and purses now. But about 2010, we were suddenly we had enough computing capability to be able to do artificial intelligence, to take the concept that was created in the 1950s, the algorithms that were largely written in the mid-1980s, and make them go. And that has enabled people to solve a completely different set of problems. So, Think about it in those terms. Electricity, digital computers, artificial intelligence. It's that big of a, of a deal. What you can do with AI, I mean, you can start to give computers the ability to see, hear, and understand the world. So machine vision, natural language processing, voice platforms, as well as enabling computers to see more. What I think is really fascinating about artificial intelligence is it's going to enable us to see the world more completely so that we could have lift the veil on the world and see it in a way where We couldn't see it before. And that's going to have huge implications for the healthcare industry, enabling uh, doctors to see patients more fully, to be able to do diagnostics on them, and for businesses to understand what is happening in their operations and to make decisions in real time. So artificial intelligence to me is the big one. It's it's also giving computers the ability to have an imagination for the first time, which is going to allow them to create or co-create content in partnership with humans. So, it is elevating the status of technology from being a tool that we wield. So, you know, a hammer, PowerPoint is just a fancy hammer, right? I have to tell it everything I want it to do, to a tool which is able to make its own decisions and to contribute at a much higher level so that it's not subordinate to us, it now becomes a teammate. And that is a massive
1: breakthrough in the way that we, we even think about technology. It's a massive breakthrough, but also they ship. Uh, Tesla has self-driving and people are going to sleep and just completely ignoring the fact that you're supposed to pay attention, despite the fact that you tell them, pay attention. Mm -hmm. People put a lot of trust in something that appears to be smart. Like you have a British accent. Right now, everyone that's listening (laughs) gives you 10 10 extra IQ points. If you had a Southern one, you'd probably go 10 points the other Mm -hmm. direction. How do we deal with those cognitive biases we have where we see this happening right now with the prison system? Oh, shoot, this guy's black and the algorithm says that black guys are more likely to re yada yada than white guys. So, let's give him a longer sentence and a higher bail. How do we we deal with those type of things? Some of them are obvious now that we've gone through them. But a lot of them won't be obvious Mm -hmm. and a lot of people will assume technology is either A, conscious, which we'll get to that later, or B, much smarter than they are.
0: Yeah, technology is still pretty dumb. And, And there's a big difference between narrow AI, which is an AI that's able to do one thing and one thing only. So, for example, I can create a narrow AI that will beat the pants off anybody at a game of chess. But you ask that same AI to do something else, drive a car or speak to me, can't do it. It's it's only na- narrowly good at one thing. So, we're a long way from general AI where you have an AI that's able to do all the things that a human can do. Um, those narrow AIs are trained. You don't, you don't program an AI. You don't write a program for an AI. You train it using examples, using data. And Those examples are typically examples of human behavior. And so they codify everything about us and the way that we would behave in that scenario by giving examples of how we behaved in the past. So you you bring up a great example of the court system. Uh, In New Jersey, an AI was created uh, as a way to uh, determine whether someone should get bail or not. They basically got, got rid of the bail system and the bail bondsman and said, either you should be locked up because we don't think you're safe to go out into society while you stand trial. Or you can. It's it's binary, one or the other. And they used AI to do that. To train that AI, they had to be very careful not to capture human bias in that. And so, not only did they make sure that when they fed the data of previous uh, cases into the AI to train it, that they removed all mention of race and gender. They even were smart enough to go, okay, well, address can be a proxy for race, and so they stripped that out as well. So you had to be when you train an AI, you have to be very mindful that you don't make it as awful as we are. And that's what it comes down to is humans have bias. And if you're not careful, those AIs will pick up on our biases the same way our our children pick up on our biases, right? Uh, I'll give you one more example. Amazon created an AI. You know, They're they're doing very well, I've heard. (laughs) And they are hiring like crazy. I know some of the people in senior positions in HR there. And they created uh, an AI. This is public information. I'm not giving anything way here that could scan resumes CVs and decide is this the kind of person that should go that should be interviewed or not based on a history of here's all the resumes that we've had here are the people we ended up hiring who should we interview and guess what the AI had a bias against women now that's not the AI's fault the AI doesn't know the difference between a man and a woman it doesn't hate women it doesn't love men it doesn't you know it's not misogynistic what happened was it revealed the innate perhaps unconscious biases of people at Amazon who had been making hiring decisions in the past. And I think AI holds a mirror up to us and allows us to see us for who we are. Of course, Amazon had to quickly withdraw that and figure out what went wrong. But really, what went wrong was not the coding of the AI. The issue was it highlighted a bias in their people.
1: It did. And yet, we probably won't see these biases before we happen, before they happen. And then there's the concept of the butterfly effect. I dropped something on the floor, so I reached down to pick it up. And because I picked it up, for some reason, that made me more likely to brush my teeth. And AI finds these type of impossible irregularities, so to speak, that actually lead to some type of trend. So, we might be able to say A, B, C, D, E. We want to avoid all those. But shoot, we forgot to look at people that are going to this gym versus this gym. People that go to this coffee shop versus this coffee shop. Guys like this one because it's Mm -hmm. much more manly. Girls like this one because it has... Dance classes, etc., or whatever it is—is is it something where we'll be able to remove that bias? Well, what you just described isn't bias. What you just described is finding patterns
0: that humans wouldn't see that's hidden inside data. Whether those associations are causative or not, there are there, there are associations. There are statistically like
1: they might they might try they might try to avoid the biases of male versus female, but not realize that the AI is picking on a different variable that identifies male, female, oh, etc. Like you got location, but there's a lot of other things outside of location.
0: Right. And uh, Okay. So, uh, what's the alternative, right? Do do you use humans with all of their biases or do you attempt to create a decision-making process that is better than a human, but still maybe has some flaws? I I, I don't know. I I mean, that's a a tough question, but it's the same as if I create a self-driving car that most of the time doesn't crash. Is that good enough? Because if it, if it crashes less than if it was driven by a human, it's still better, right?
1: I'm just bringing up the tough. No, it's, it's the, the, it's the right question. Questions.
0: Yeah, it's the right question. But I think what you're scratching away at is that uh, should we hold AI to a higher standard than humans? And maybe we should. Uh, but how high is that standard? Is perfection the minimum? And I don't think that that's probably fair. Um,
1: it's dangerous if, it, if that's the minimum. Yeah.
0: So, I think AI is going to give us a lot of breakthroughs. You know, there may be people listening to this podcast right now whose lives will be saved because an AI discovers a drug uh, that will, will save their lives at some point in the future. If not them, then their children. And so, AI is going to do a lot for humanity. And we should be careful about being too fearful of it and shutting down development. I think caution versus fear. We should be cautious, be mindful, we should be aware of bias and it's uh, we should be we should be careful to limit some to some degree what AI can do, uh, but uh, it is going to be a very powerful tool for us. And uh, I would hate to to limit um, its impact, its positive impact on humanity because we're so fearful of negative impact.
1: I would agree, but it's kind of like the concept of racing your car. What speed do you go at to make sure that you can hit the brakes before you get to the cliff? So there, we need something on there because. The AI prize is trillions, if not whatever the next yeah. number system beyond trillions is in terms of the country, the company, et cetera, that comes up with it. They win a lot of games very quickly, especially if we're talking about general intelligence. How do we deal with uh, the safety rails, so to speak? Because it's one thing to go head on and it's one thing to hold back. And I don't think either of those are the right answer. Yet the, the game that we're playing is kind of like a pinks all or nothing. You win, I get your car Uh, I win, I get your car type of deal where people will go all out because it is everything.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, part of the problem is that the main face of AI today is deep learning, machine learning, deep learning, the more layers you have, the deeper it gets. And that creates a black box, a neural network black box that we don't really know how it works, right? And an AI can't tell you how it came up with the answer that it did. There's a lot of work to create transparent AIs, which will explain to you why they came up with the conclusion they did. And there's also work beyond deep learning to look at cause and effect, create an AI that understands cause and effect, to create an AI that uh, uses common sense. And so, I think that's it's almost going to put natural guardrails around an AI to give it an understanding of the world, which will naturally limit it and help it sort of keep it on track. So, the issues that we have with AI today with it being this impenetrable, it's kind of magic in the way it works with deep learning and the sort of the curve fitting that goes on to find associations in, in complex data types may be a short-term issue or let's say medium-term issue
1: as the other kinds of AI that develop that we can wrap around it. Understood, understood. Speaking of future of AI and some related topics, I know you've talked about the evolution of government. We. We certainly need to evolve government. Where are we headed or where should we be headed?
0: Well, government needs to speed up. The world has sped up and yet government plods along and it it is disheartening to see governments and I'm not just talking about the US government. You see it in, in other governments around the world as well, although many of them are certainly better than the speed of the US, where their understanding of technology and its impact on the world is clear. Very often, politicians talk about the problems that they think they know how to solve They don't talk about things that they don't have a clue on how to solve. And that's why you're not seeing people talk about automation and the the severe impact it has already had on jobs and will continue to have on jobs. I think we need to have more literacy amongst the general population. It's one of the reasons I do what I do. And I think it needs to happen in government. And that's again, why I spend time uh, mostly at the local level trying to educate people on, well, this is the technology that's coming. These are the implications. These are the questions we have to answer. I don't I don't purport to have all the answers at all, but at least we can raise the right questions that our politicians will need to talk about and and find answers to.
1: If we can plausibly say that right now we're about at peak usage for what the Earth can handle, and we're at about seven, eight billion people. Assuming we go up in efficiency from here, we can't really produce more without causing more problems, or going to Mars, which has all all kind of other (laughs) headaches associated with it. How do we continue to grow? The economy, the GDP, prosperity, is that even the right metric as we go forward?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Um,
1: like, do we need more jobs? I mean, if we can produce, if, if we can all have an American esque standard of, of living and none of us are working, what the hell's the problem other than we all have to kill each other because we don't have a job?
0: Well, it comes down to how is wealth distributed. Right now, wealth is distributed in return for work, right? Uh, we create wealth as a, so- as a society people work to contribute towards that wealth. And we have this notion of that wealth is distributed based on the level of contribution that somebody makes. And if you're a CEO, then you contribute at a higher level than a frontline worker. That's kind of the notion of the way that we've we've constructed our society. And that's how capitalism has worked and it's generated great wealth. And that wealth has been distributed more towards the people who we have determined uh, should have that wealth because they've contributed more and therefore they should be rewarded more. That may change. Uh, it may have to change. If we if we put 50% of the people out of work over the next 20 years, and that's I'm not being alarmist by saying that, that's that's something that McKinsey, PwC, lots of other, Oxford University, smart researchers are saying this is a serious issue, that up to 50% of jobs are at high risk of automation. Now, does that mean they will be automated? No. It means they're at high risk. Uh, does does it mean that other jobs will not be created as a result of technologies? That's always been the case in the past. You know, We took people off the land and, and gave them new jobs in factories and offices and people are now web designers and party planners and make uh, baristas, right? We will, new jobs will emerge as technologies evolve. The question is, will they evolve at the pace that's needed to replace the jobs that are destroyed? And can we train people fast enough? I think this is an education problem. and. Some people will not be able to rise to the level that's required to do the new jobs. You, you can't take a truck driver and turn them into a genetic scientist. It's just not going to happen. So if there are people that aren't able to make the jump, either because they can't do it quickly enough, we move people off the land in a 200-year two year process. We're going to do 50% of the jobs in maybe a 20-year timeframe. If we can't move people quickly enough or they just aren't able to make that leap, do they become destitute and homeless is that the world that we all want to live in or do we look at how we distribute wealth differently and, and in the us the political system is destitute and homeless well, it's it's not yeah it's not predisposed for that i think europe with its you know evil socialist uh, outlook uh, which is the way it's, you know many americans would characterize it is much better set up to make this transition than the united states is that's, that worries me as a
1: U.S. citizen. Many foolish Americans, I would say. I think as well that this, if it's not solved, it will be the fall of the U.S. I want to take a quick time out to plug today's show sponsor, Brand Crowd. This is the company that allows you to easily create a logo for any design, brand, or business. If you go to disruptors.fm slash brand crowd, that's brand crowd, the two words. It's pretty easy, and it's almost as easy as their service. You put in whatever brand name you want, and they'll generate tons of automatic logos for you. Some of them will be great. Some of them you won't be so keen on. Not a problem. You're not paying for anything until you find the solution that you love for your business. You get it. And then you're off to the races. Disruptors.fm slash brand crowd for more details. And now back to the program. In terms of where we're headed, Mm. do you think we can get to, let's say say a, a decent percentage of jobs are automated away in a very quick time frame. Do you think we can get to a world that, assuming we don't replace those jobs, we peacefully transition to a more socialist or UBI type economy? Or is it going to have to be something violent? Like it always has God, to be. I hope not.
0: I mean, it all comes down to choice. We can choose what we want. I, I have found it helpful, especially when I'm talking to business leaders who tend to be more on the, you know, everybody should work. So, you know, personal responsibility. I am all for personal responsibility. But when I explain it in terms of, well, what will happen when half of your customers can no longer afford your product or service? it will affect you too. That's when the penny drops and they go, oh, yeah, okay, we've got to figure this out. Because it affects us all. The economy is all interconnected. And if half of the people suddenly drop out of it over 20 years, it takes everybody else down.
1: Yeah, it's a reverse Amazon flywheel where it all comes crashing (laughs) down.
0: And so, we all own a part in doing it. And whether universal basic income, taxing uh, capital, Bill Gates' idea of taxing robots, if a if a robot replaces a person who earned 50 grand a year, then you tax that robot as if it was earning 50 grand a year. We're going to have to do something radical because if we don't, automation will take us all down. Now, I, I want to accurately represent the other side of the argument, which is Price Waterhouse did a study of the UK and they estimated that 7 million jobs in the UK would be destroyed by artificial intelligence. Sounds like a pretty evil, awful headline. They also estimated that 7.2 million jobs would be created by artificial intelligence. So net net, it's going to create 200,000 jobs. Now, are the people going to be? Are they going to be high-quality jobs, high-paying jobs? Will people be able to do those jobs? I don't know. And how quickly can we make that transition? I also don't know, and I don't think anybody does. But we
1: should be fair about it's not all doom and gloom, but there is great uncertainty. And when you look at these consulting firms, I want to say they assumed there would be like a hundred thousand cell phones in the entire U.S. after that iPhone came out or something. Uh, just just l- when you look at the, the numbers, they're off by orders of magnitude almost every time. And that's kind of how technology happens when there is that stepwise change. It's a, it's a black swan event, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and th- the problems that they're trying to model are incredibly complex. There are so many moving parts and so many assumptions built in that the models could be wildly off. The same way, you know, when we predict a hurricane, we're not quite sure where it's going to make landfall, and different models show different things. In this case, a lot of the models are showing roughly the same thing, which is roughly fifty percent of the jobs in roughly twenty years.
1: Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting question. It's one that's definitely not getting pondered pondered enough. I know you've talked a bit about wearables and hearables in the in the past, mm-hmm. and. The privacy and data associated with that. Where do you see us headed on a consumer tech side of things?
0: Yeah, um, there was a lot of excitement about wearables. And every conference, you know, five years ago was all about wearables. And the excitement has died down a little bit. I mean, the way I think about wearables is it, it's the internet of things, but it applied to people instead of people. And it's, it's sucking data from people, their movements, their uh, health life signs, And using that data to hopefully provide insights that is useful to the person that is wearing them. Um, It seems that after all of the excitement of wearables, it's mostly coming down to health and fitness and connecting us to services, whether that is sort of, hang on, I've got to to pause it, otherwise she's going to be listening. All right, now she's not listening. I can say Alexa without her blowing up and trying to say things back to me. Um,
1: Bezos is listening. (laughs) Yes,
0: Bezos is always listening. But being able to put that kind of uh, capability into our ears, that's what I've been calling hearables as opposed to wearables, I think is a really interesting way of bridging between machine intelligence and human intelligence. We live very busy lives and we need help to get through the day. And being able to cognitively offload tasks or to get reminders or guidance uh, just whispered into our ear at the right time, I think will be useful. When we finally get lightweight, long battery life, fashionable, augmented reality, I think that also is interesting to be able to help guide us through the day. This becomes the new display. What it means is your next 150-inch television is a 99-cent app you download
1: from the app store. Can people handle that? They walk around with their phones like this as it is.
0: Well, that's, that's, yes. um, You sort of think, well, what's the implication of that? One, it may help us actually lift our heads up and, and interact with the world because I'm not I'm not c- keeping all my digital value trapped inside this uh, rectangular screen. Now I'm able to overlay it on the world and hopefully it makes me engage more with the physical world again. But the risk is we will be able to, the same way you can customize your home screen on your phone, uh, you will be able to customize your view of the world in ever increasingly sophisticated ways and so we all think we live in a bubble now uh when we live in an aug- augmented reality bubble where our most important sense our vision is fully customizable and i can shield out things i don't want to see or i can you know add in things i do want to see uh, that's one of the things that concerns me
1: yeah if you're in the kkk you can make everybody white you can do all <laughs> kinds of interesting things now, that people have never oh, okay that people have that people have never even thought about how do we how do we deal with that where the commons is becoming invaded, in a sense. Everything's under surveillance. Nothing is really owned. And my face, my everything is kind of out there for governments and corporations.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, how much how much benefit do we get as a society and how much do we have to give up in return? And as, as individuals, how much benefit do we get versus what we have to give up in return? And... I think for companies who are wrestling with this, as they think about, typically when you're dreaming up a new service, a new product, if you want to do something really interesting and meaningful, you have to gather data as, as fuel to make that product or service work. Whether it is you know, recommendations on Netflix, nice simple thing, which gathers your viewing habits, or let's say you want a personalized shopping service, then that store maybe has to observe how you shop. If there's enough benefit in it, great. If, if it'll, it, p- people want customized products and personalized services. And to deliver a personalized service, let me back up. Should we explain the difference between customization and personalization? Because people often think they're the same thing. Customization, I express what I want. I want a mocha chocolate latte with extra sprinkles and 130 degrees Fahrenheit, right? I'm expressing what I want. Starbucks gives me what I want. Personalization, I don't say what I want. Someone observes my behavior and infers from that what I might want. And gives me that. So people, custom, uh, people are looking for customized products and personalized experiences. To deliver personalized experiences, you have to gather data in order to be able to start to make decisions on people's behalves and hopefully give them a, a tailored service. That should always be opt in. And I think that's for, for companies wrestling with h- how far do I go, what data can I gather. Of course, when you gather that data, you have to secure it, handle it appropriately not use it for unintended purposes but you need to be transparent about why you're gathering that data what you're doing with it what you're not doing with it and it needs to be an opt-in service so i, I think it's a long answer to your question but so long as there is a, a fair exchange of value and people feel like i'm giving up this data and in return i am getting this value in return and that's a fair exchange and it's it's all above board and i can see everything and i understand what's going on then people are generally accepting of that. You break any of those rules and people should rightly say, hell no.
1: Isn't that the same case with climate change, though? It's kind of a great deal until it's not because it doesn't hurt us enough. Until it does, it kind of is a, a collective pain versus an individual pain.
0: Yeah, there's all sorts of human studies about that, right? Where um, yeah. a- Unless you are you know, explicitly individually hurt, you tend to discount stuff.
1: We are- yeah, yeah. You know? We all, none of us clean the bathroom until the bathroom's disgusting because other people are using the bathroom too, right? Right. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a super tough call. I know you've talked about the future of transportation a bit, and I imagine you're very keen on that. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts and especially any non-consensus ones.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, our transportation systems are important to economic activity. People spend a lot of time in traffic and, and sometimes it's, the downside is someone gets to spend 30 minutes less with their children or uh, they get stressed, but sometimes it is an ambulance isn't able to get somebody on time. You know, there, there are lots of things that are kind of mission critical that happen on the transportation system too. Now, transportation systems today, especially in big cities, if you have the means to have a car, uh, great. You can get around if you don't mind the traffic. Uh, if you don't have the means, it, it can be a, a real impediment to you just to living your life or certainly to getting to work. And so innovation in transportation systems is going to be vital to the future of our cities, to the vibrancies of our cities, to inclusion so that people can can all participate properly in the economy. And I think autonomous platforms are going to be very helpful for that. 93% of car accidents are caused by human error. If we can eliminate some of that, you know, the one and a quarter million people that die globally in car accidents, almost half of them pedestrians, uh, if we can limit that, that's great. But I, I think it's much more interesting in in terms of rethinking the way that we move people, goods, services, move trash out of our cities uh, and to improve the flow of economic activity and, and, and human life. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see those deployed. If you look at the cost of an Uber or a Lyft today, you make that vehicle autonomous uh, and you also make that vehicle... Electric, which those things are going to happen largely hand in hand. It's, I've seen estimates that you may cut the cost of that Uber ride by a tenth into a a tenth of what it is now. It's a 90% reduction. That's massive. Now uh, it's not good for the Uber drivers and Lyft drivers of today who are participating in the gig economy and using it to, you know, supplement their income or bridge between jobs, which referred to our previous conversation of, of 15 minutes ago. But in terms of making transportation more accessible to people that can't drive today uh, because they're too young, they're too old, um, they're drunk, they're banned from driving, they uh, whatever the reason might be, uh, they have a disability of some sort. Uh, I think it's going to increase access to transportation. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is interesting about autonomous platforms is not just that it can take you to a place or a service. It's that it can project that product or service or experience to you, and I think it's going to be a it's going to be a really interesting time for brands to think about how do I use these platforms to project my brand and deliver products and services to people in new ways, and not just for doing you know fancy last mile delivery with little cute robots on the sidewalks, which people are going to very quickly get pissed off with, and we talk about that. But to think about how might I if I marry it, should I have a mobile? autonomous hotel room? If I am a restaurant, should I have a mobile uh, restaurant car? If I am Regal Cinemas, should I have a cinema car that allows me to provide entertainment experiences where people are on the go? The level of innovation, once you have a new platform like that, people are going to stun us by the amount of innovation that they layer on top of it. And that's why I'm interested in it.
1: You could go even farther. If you're a restaurant, do you even need a restaurant? Right. Do, it, d- does it decentralize my restaurant completely? It's a, it's a super interesting world. What do you think about the, especially, I'm pretty big on the the scooter sharing. Obviously, it's a bit absurd right now at how it is, but in terms of what it could be for the US, the US is broken in terms of how it's built architecturally. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too spread out for it to be really sustainable long-term. But the scooters seem to be a decent option in, a lot of cities for cutting out a lot of the pollution in uh, car traffic.
0: Yeah. I, and I think they're interesting for that last mile or two, right? To, to connect with public transportation systems. For people who are trying to get to work, and you know, and there are a lot of people who will take public transport, whether it's the bus or a you know, rapid transit, and then they have to walk another two miles to get to their job. To have those scooters to just very inexpensively whisk them back and forth between them it can, can be very good for a lot of people. And just for you know, tootling around town here in Portland, we have the scooters. They just came back again last week. We need to make sure that it is done in a responsible way that doesn't diminish city life though. Uh, you know, Having them just left all over the sidewalk, we need a better solution for that. Having them zooming down sidewalks and having old people have to leap out of the way because there's some kid with his headphones on not paying attention, just you know, wanting to come through, they should be forced to be on the road and ticketed if they're not. So, I think it's probably a a short to medium term problem because at the moment we've not really made it easy for those scooters to be safely anywhere. They're either unsafely on the sidewalks and unsafe for pedestrians, or they're unsafely on the roads because they're unsafe for the riders because they're next to cars. As we go autonomous, we will need a lot less parking and a lot less multi-story parking, but a lot less street parking. You'll have drop-off zones and pickup zones, but you won't need to have all these cars just left there doing nothing for 95% of the time. If you can repurpose that and put in scooter lanes, bike lanes everywhere in a city, I think you will leave that problem and you separate all those three pieces of traffic.
1: Do you think people upregulate their usage though? So, let's play devil's advocate. I need to buy a couple of things. I might want to go to the store once to do it, but now I can order on Amazon this today and that tomorrow, another thing the next mm-hmm. day. And that's three separate deliveries, same deal, but applied to groceries, whatever. My car goes out, my car comes back. I don't have to even think about it because there's not really any impact on me, but it impacts everyone else because it clutters the road. Do you think we could have a situation where that gets worse instead of better?
0: Yeah, and I think there's also, I agree, and I think there's also an argument that as you make individualized autonomous transportation more accessible by cutting the price, slashing the price dramatically, that may destroy traditional public transportation where you are, you know, you've got 50 people in a bus, now I've got 50 little pods with people all doing their own thing and choking the roads. So yeah, we have to be careful that we find the right balance and we price it appropriately so that we don't, you know, just come up with a new set of problems.
1: To price it appropriately, does it have to be controlled by all one entity or a governmental entity?
0: I think cities are going to have to intervene at some point if they need to, right? I mean, city managers are there to to protect the health and well-being of the of their citizens, to help promote economic activity. You know, there's a bunch of roles that they have, and they may need to step in. One of the tools they have is taxation, of course, but there are other rules that they can set that are designed to create the best living environment possible in our cities, and I think It's too early to tell whether those things will happen or not, but city managers are going to have to be open to stepping in 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 new ways that perhaps they didn't have to in the past.
1: I know. I was listening to a podcast and the guy was saying, whenever he's in San Francisco, he always uses Lyft instead of Uber. And not because it's cheaper, it's actually a little bit more expensive, but he doesn't want to help Uber get to that overall monopoly where they kick everyone else out of the market and then just jack up the prices.
0: Yeah. I, I personally use Lyft all the time. I don't use Uber either and everybody has their reasons. Mine is that Lyft um, will do carbon offsets for every mile that I ride. And I know it's going to cost me more, but I also don't want to fuel just one huge mega vendor. I think it's important that we all, as consumers, you know,
1: think about our vote and, and we vote with our dollars. Amazon is that big and large company in Wally. We need to, we need to be worried. Uh, what Speaking of, what technologies worry you the most or have the biggest potential for harm in your view? I'll, we'll go outside of AI because I, I feel like you could say AI, yeah. AI and that's kind of a to everything. <laughs>
0: Hmm. You know, it, it, it really is. I mean, AI is the, because it's the most powerful, technology is benign, right? It, it's how we use it, how it shows up in our lives that matters. Yeah, I mean, AI for surveillance, I mean, there, there are some pretty big downsides to that. I'm trying to think about the other technologies that I spend time with. We've already talked about, you know, the vagusing of my perception and the, you know, making everybody look white <laughs> of my perception. Um, of augmented reality, which is a, a longer term risk, but a risk nonetheless. I, I think as we, cr- as we augment ourselves, whether it is through augmenting our vision or augmenting our intellect, so uh, AR or AI, we hopefully will do that in a way that will elevate us, that will make us more intellectual, that will help us see the world more clearly. I worry that that may not happen, uh, that we may become dumber because we offload more and more to our machine intelligence. I used to be able to navigate myself you know, when, I was, when I was younger, people used to call me the pigeon. And the reason they would call me the pigeon is that I could always find my way home. So, no matter how late we went out, no matter how many bars we went to, no, no matter how- this is college days, right? I could always find my way home and I didn't have Google Maps to do that. Now, we've outsourced all of that, right? Our, our ability to- because we can't be lost, because we have this magical map in our pocket, we don't really pay attention anymore, so it does do we slowly give up some of our cognitive abilities uh, because we
1: outsource them too much so it's probably my biggest worry. D- yeah, we definitely do. The question is just how fast is it evolutionarily is or is it individual as well, and it definitely seems to be individual I don't really need to remember phone numbers anymore. I remember those better than I do directions because that's super given to me mm-hmm. but it's uh it's definitely an interesting question what in terms of, in terms of sci-fi, what do you say we're most headed towards? In which which sci-fi or which speculative type fiction movie book etc has most influenced you, and why?
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, uh, the books that have the movies that have most influenced me as a futurist tend to be the ones that I rail against. So, uh, the Terminator, the Matrix, wonderful movies. I love them. Right, Terminator Two one of my very favorite movies. although it was spectacular when it came out in the early 90s. But they do a disservice. They are great entertainment. Hollywood should keep making movies like that. They're awesome. But as a futurist, you know, I'm up against that every day. When I speak to audiences, the word Terminator or Skynet nearly always comes up because it's made people fearful about the future. And I, I try and balance and against that and I'll Offer an optimistic view of the future. Here's how technology might show up. Here's how it might advance our lives, make the world better. Uh, So, probably it's movies like that that have had the most influence on me because I want to be the opposite of them. Not because I think they're bad, I think they're awesome. But Hollywood movies would not be interesting. If if Arnie dropped out of the future and said, Hello, everybody, a cup of tea, anybody? It would be a really boring story. You have to have that tension. But we shouldn't assume that that tension is a portent of the future and that, that that is reality, right? We should be cautious about the future and mindful, but not
1: fearful. Exactly. It's a warning of a possible future. That's how I like to think about it. Because if not, if not uh, sci-fi, what exactly is going to tell us to slow down? And the answer is nothing.
0: Yeah, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't slow us down because we're fearful, right? We should, it, it should be allegories and, and we should be mindful. But to be fearful. I mean, I have people come to my talks and I talk about artificial intelligence and all the amazing things that it'll be able to do and how it will discover new drugs and help us see the world more completely and uh, help us design new products that are lighter weight, make these super uh, jets that will be able to take us from one side of the planet to the other in, in a matter of hours. And what they come away with because they're thinking about Sarah Connor is... Oh my God! the robots are going to rise up and kill us, kill us all and that's not helpful because it, it it doesn't allow us to move forward it doesn't allow us to uh to embrace this technology in our lives and
1: and get the benefit from it to be play devil's advocate, it would be super helpful if they were actually going to rise up and kill us all <laughs> but in terms in terms of in terms of ai i my thing is i've never been sold by anyone regardless of the experts i've spoken with and a, a lot of the top experts i think have a a similar mind. I don't see how people, well, I, what I get upset with is when people say 100% certain AI will never ever be a problem because yeah, you when you're dealing that. with something, you can't say that and you also can't really contain, I mean, how do you contain something that's smarter than you and exponentially faster? It seems arrogant to say that all the all the codes and bugs will be worked out because you don't know what they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's risk in everything, Right. Ninety percent of power in France comes from nuclear energy, and and they put them all on the, they put them all on the border with Germany. Germany hates <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, but you know that means that they are you know one of the the lowest carbon producing countries on the planet. Now, can atomic energy be used for bad? Yes, we've seen that happen twice in our lives, and we we may see it again. I hope not. Um, and we've seen you know, Three Mile Island and Chernobyl, but. Does that mean we should not have nuke- nuclear energy? One could argue, maybe. But in the grand scheme of things, is it really helping with the bigger problem of global warming? Yes, absolutely. It's helping with global warming and, and slowing that down. If we didn't have nuclear energy, it would be even worse than it is today. So, uh, you know, I don't think we should deny ourselves AI because
1: it's not. we can't guarantee it's 100% safe. We definitely don't want to deny it. What we want to have is we want to have people looking over the shoulder, trying to poke holes in things before they happen. That clearly didn't happen at Facebook. And then Trump was helpful enough to, uh, to show us a, a few little tools and tricks that could happen. And now we have something we never expected because no, everyone thought it was all good.
0: Yeah, I think AI, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And I think it, it, is, it is important. I like that organizations like OpenAI exist. And I think we need more organizations like that. That are, um, that are asking the right questions and often commercial pressures mean that shortcuts are taken and people don't think through how something might end up having unintended consequences. So I, I really, I promote mindfulness and not in like a way, but just we need to be really thoughtful when we do things. And as a futurist, I, I promote asking and answering two questions. What's the future you want to build? And what's the future we want to avoid? And they're you know, sides of the same coin, but we shouldn't just focus on the latter. Let's focus on both of them in equal measure.
1: Definitely agreed. Go for the great power, but always have a little bit of caution yeah. while you're doing it. And in terms of the mindfulness stuff, I would give meditation a try if I were you. I've talked to a lot of, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of the woo-woo people. I'm actually somewhat in that crowd. I, I do think that there are a lot of benefits, but that's a talk for another time.
0: Nothing wrong with the woo-woo crowd.
1: It's Nothing wrong with it. the woo-woo crowd. This has been a this has been a fun one. Two two bald dudes talking <laughs> future. Steve, I I got one last question yeah. before I tell before you tell people where to find you, and that's you got to leave people with one thing: a quote, a call to action. It can be anything. What is it?
0: Um, I, I think it is it inspire others to build a better future. And if if you if you found this discussion interesting and you think you know being being a futurist is interesting, uh, I deputize you as a futurist. Because it shouldn't just be people who call themselves futurists who are promoting conversations about the future and and thoughtful conversations about the future. So you know, at the next cocktail party, at the next, when you talk to your kids, um, when you talk to your parents, you know, start having these conversations because it's important that we all participate in the future. Don't leave it to old farts like me. You know, we should all participate in this. So that that would be my 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 thought is we should all participate in inspiring a conversation about how we, not others, how we are going to build a better future.
1: I like the we, not others part. One of, one of our guests had a great quote. It was something like, most people walk into the future looking or walking backwards, because that's the only thing that they notice and realize and live in. This has been a, this has been a fun one, Steve. Where can people find you and learn more about you? Sure. Um, well, Bald Futurist, it's easy to remember why, bold <laughs>
0: Boldfuturist.com. And if you're interested in getting on my mailing list, you can text BOLD to 345-345. I'm not going to spam you. All you will get on that email is, uh, is a note when my book comes out in early uh, 2020. So I have a book coming, The Innovation Ultimatum, uh, which is going to explain how six technologies will reshape every business in the 2020s. So if you're interested in that book, get on the mailing list
1: 345-345 and text the word bold Bold as in a topless head guys not the not bold but it is also bold as well thanks for coming today Steve. hey pleasure talking to you thanks for having me yeah cheers guys this was fun if you want more of the disruptors you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or go to disruptors.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics cryptocurrency longevity ai space vr and much much more you can also follow me on Twitter at Matt Ward.io. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm/slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.